Hello everyone and welcome back to Footprints. You may remember last month Dan paddled me around the canals of Bath and we ended up at Claverton Pumping Station which pumps water from the River Avon up to the Avon Canal. So this month we've transferred to the river to find out more about it. I'll be meeting a woman who captures videos of otters at the bottom of her garden right in the heart of Bath. We'll hear from the Cleveland Pools Project on how they use the river to heat the pools. But first, let's go beaver spotting. Beavers have been going through a process of reintroduction around the UK, but not on the River Avon. So it was a surprise to me to find that they do indeed live here. Bevis Watts, who's the ex-chief executive of Avon Wildlife Trust and the current chief executive of Triodos Bank, took me out one balmy evening in his canoe to see if we could find any beavers just after they might have got up and be looking for breakfast. Let's see what happened. Although we're really close to civilization, um, you wouldn't know it when you're on the river. <laughs> you really feel like you're in wilderness here because you're surrounded by the reeds and rushes and lily pads and the beaver mangle trees uh, but this this landscape is intersected by roads cycle paths footpaths canal railway so this river has been really heavily interfered with by man over the years yet the beavers are here and thriving the otters are here um, there's pike a huge predatory fish in this river eels um, so it's, it's just quite inspiring that the beavers have managed to thrive here. Did you see the kingfisher just flew across our bows? Yeah. Blue lightning. Oh, that was exciting. On your left here, this is a willow tree that the beavers um, coppiced last year. So you'll see a lot of the branches sort of drooping down at 45 degrees. Um, yeah. And then there's, there's sort of pencil points, triangular points on the end of um, uh, the branches and so on. And uh, that's what they do. They kind of reshape the tree to make it easier to climb. Or ideally, at higher water, the branches will be in the water and they can hop on them and then eat the, the green shoots. They will feed primarily in the winter off the bark of um, mostly the willow trees. And they eat all sorts of other vegetation through... Uh, the, the, the summer months, but um, the park is a, a staple of their diet. So, um, but sometimes you're not quite sure what they're doing. You know, you'll see big V shapes in a branch, and they're clearly trying to either cut the branch off and take it somewhere to extend their home <laughs> and use it as building material, or sometimes they're just cutting it so it droops at 45 degrees, and then when the tips of the branch is in the water, it, it sprouts roots. And so you're then creating a whole new ecosystem because those roots become fish nurseries. You see swans feeding on the algae on those roots. Um, uh, and as we've seen, you just get a huge abundance of dragonflies and damselflies around these sort of new habitats, really. Bevis, you were chief executive of Avon Wildlife Trust and now you're CEO of Triodos Bank. That's quite a leap from one to the other. How did that come about? Uh, well, I, 
I, I actually worked for um, Triodos Bank earlier in my career as well, and um, Avon Wildlife Trust was the first opportunity I'd had to be a chief executive, and um, uh, and I was very fortunate enough to have the the job at the time, and thought I could make a. A, a difference and um, wildlife and conservation has always been a passion and interest of mine. I've been a diver for more than 20 years and volunteered on several marine uh, conservation projects and been involved with conservation charities as a trustee and things as well. So it was a lovely coming together of the two. Um, and then I was uh, approached about going back to the bank and trying to have an even bigger impact on the environment and social issues through a very different kind of bank. So. Uh, but, um, but the beavers are really uh, one of the many ways I keep my interest in conservation. And this, is actually, this is actually the bit I call Beaver Alley, up ahead. So you'll see the whole riverbank uh, in the distance is, um, it, it is sort of willow trees. Uh, and that's where they live, in that area and a little bit beyond. Um, it's just ideal habitat for them, it's deep water, they feel very safe, there's lots of willow to feed on. Um, and the, the, you cannot access the riverbanks here on foot. So if you look dead ahead you'll see that's one of my cameras there, just on a little post, hidden away. But behind that, you'll see that it looks like a riverbank, but it's actually a massive mound of sticks and mud. And that is their home. That is where their burrow or lodge is. So this is why I've got cameras trained here, is to try and get them going uh, in and out and catch a lot of their activity. So, yeah. And what do they eat, Bevis? Do they eat? I know that you're saying they eat willow shoots and they obviously strip the bark and they eat that in the winter. What else do they eat? Do they eat animals of any sort? No, beavers are entirely vegetarian, so they will eat all sorts of green vegetation, I, uh, as I understand it, in the, the summer months. But their favourite um, food by far is willow uh, and eating the sort of young shoots of the, the willow and, and bark. But they eat the bark of other trees. We'll pass some shortly, actually, some birch trees where they've been stripping the bark off those. Uh, as well so um, but yeah entirely vegetarian so completely different to uh, otters which are um, pescatarians and hunters and when you see the if you've seen them both or you know in the water on the river as I have there's, there's a real contrast uh, an otter is um, a real stealthy predator and really moves very sleekly in the water as it dives and uh, you can barely see a trace, whereas the beavers are much more cumbersome and, uh, and slightly clumsy as they get in and out of the, the water at the riverbanks. So very different creatures. Very, very different, yeah. So why have we introduced beavers into our rivers? Well, it's, it's about 20 years ago that we started reintroducing um, beavers into the UK, and it's because they're what's called as a keystone um, species. So. They're one of very few animals that, that um, basically reinvent the landscape and create habitats for other wildlife. So elephants would be another one. 
the fact they're constantly, as we've seen, coppicing trees or, um, uh, or, or felling them, and not, not on rivers but in, or on this river because it's a large body of water already, but in other areas they might be um, creating small dams and flooding uh, sort of fields and wetland areas, and all of that creates new habitat for all sorts of other wildlife. So that's why they're seen as so important, uh, and that means they can also play a huge role in tackling climate change through all of the carbon sequestration that comes from those habitats, but also in making us more resilient to climate change through storing water further upstream in, in rivers and things. Yeah, so you're, you've just seen and pointed out to a birch tree that they have felled, because th these trees have clearly been planted. This is an old plantation in a straight line along the riverbank, and you can see there's another one about you know six metres back from the riverbank that looks like an hourglass. These are the impacts that beavers can have, um, and these are all manageable. I mean, in other European countries where beavers have, always, have remained or have been reintroduced, you can sandpaper those trees or put wire mesh around them uh, to stop them doing that. It's just beautiful, isn't it? It really is. The fish are jumping. The river is a swarm with flies and dragonflies. Now, Bevis, you've written a book. What's it called? Uh, the book's called River Journey, uh, Searching for Wild Beavers and Finding Freedom. And um, I never intended to write a book, but what I realised last year was writing reports about what I was finding about these beavers was just really keeping my head on the river, if that made sense, and was having a great contribution to my own well-being. Uh, through keeping it all alive. So um, the book's really sharing the joy and the journey and all the adventure of what it took to try and work out where these beavers were, how many there were, uh, and all those things. But it's also a story about you know nature and um, its restorative powers and well-being, um, as well as a few thoughts on the fact we just need to do way more, much quicker, uh, in order to help our natural environment recover and avert climate change and biodiversity loss and, and some comments, I suppose, on that from 25 years of working in sustainability now. You see there's a willow tree. That's not new. That, that willow branch lying out into the river on the left isn't new. But you can see near the riverbank there's some very golden, fresh... Uh, sort of golden, um, freshly stripped willow. They create these feeding stations, so wherever they are they never have to go far for a bit of cover because they can swim and duck under those and then just keep their eyes above water and see what's passing by, um, or they've got someone to feed. But, but they weren't introduced onto this river, were they? So no one knows where they've come from. They've either been reintroduced illegally, but more likely they've escaped from private populations of beavers on farmland uh, along the Avon or on its tributaries. This is not one of the um, formal uh, reintroduction areas. That was a jumping fish. That was a jumping fish, just to the left of me. That was very exciting. Hi, hi. Hello. Hi. Let's leave the river for a moment. Did we see any beavers? We'll come back and I promise you'll find out.
Now, Bevis mentioned that beavers are very different creatures from otters. And in our next feature, I went to meet a woman who's been getting to know the otters that come into her garden at night from the river in the heart of Bath. Here's Alison Peach. We lived here for a few years before I finally put two and two together, seeing footprints in the mud after there'd been a bit of a flood or something at the the very, very lowest level of the garden is obviously actually in the river. So you only need a little bit of mud to be deposited after a flood and you can see the footprints, you know, of who's been by. But I can't believe it took me so long to clock that that's an actual creature. <laughs> so I then got myself a wildlife camera so that I could set it to take motion-activated videos at night to find out who's coming round and that's when I discovered it was otters. How exciting, so you hadn't seen otters up to that point, you'd just seen their footprints. That's right, I've even to this day never knowingly seen one in daylight with my own eyes. I have occasionally seen something in the river that I thought possibly that could be an otter but they're very shy of course in daylight so um, no, my sightings are completely video from the the camera that set up at night and it was only that I checked out the footprints because a, an otter's got a very distinctive footprint which is a five-toed a bit like the human hand almost five-toed print you can see the claws at the end so when I looked it up I thought well this is looking like it's it's going to be an otter so enthusiasm started at that point and then I just looked around to get a camera but I couldn't afford very much and I wasn't sure what I was going to get so I paid less than 25 pounds for my first autocam which is is quite a simple device which has got just a motion activated sensor and you can set it to take as many seconds of footage as you need and I'm now on my second camera because that one um, got worn out but, yeah, this one cost me less than £50, so it's really not an expensive thing to um, to get into. So we're, I don't know, we're a few metres above the river, aren't we? And we're going to go down the steps and find out where the, where the otters like to spend their time. They come to the foot of the bridge, so our garden goes right down, as I said, into the river. And um, otters seem to be attracted to abutment, so that's where we're going to go. So, yeah, so th- we're now at the actual base of the abutment and this is the corner where the otters come up and climb out of the water here and mark the territory, which is called sprainting, where they leave a little deposit. And I believe that informs other otters as, of who's been by um, because on some of my videos I found that a, f- a, f- a few minutes after the first otters come, another one will be following and I think there's a bit of a social game going on there about who's who and who's following who on the river but they'll typically come up from the downstream side climb up to the stones here and only spend about 10 seconds before um, splashing back into the water just there so they literally come up say hello say I've been here guys and then off they go again Yes, yeah, and reading into it, um, it seems to be something that is seasonal because their growth cycle means that at a certain point in their growth cycle they need to sort of set boundaries with other river users, other otters, about who's more important than who. And so we tend to get them mainly between November and March. 
So do they mostly come when it's actually dark? Yes, yeah. They always come when it's dark. I've only ever had one video of one coming in the early morning when it was light, lighter. After a few years of doing this, that was only the one occasion. So it might just be that they're shy and, of course, normally there's traffic, a lot of traffic on the bridge and um, maybe they don't come when it's busy. Yeah. So show me the camera. Uh, I would would just strap it onto this um, drain pipe here is one position where it would pick up anything within a few meters which takes you to the water and I've also there's a piece of wood behind you where I sometimes attach it on the bracket on the wood there but this this seems to be the best spot and um, And there it is and there it is and so it's quite a simple device that just takes a few batteries and it's got the sensor and the camera and that's about it really you you set it up for you know switch it on and it, it won't run unless something activates it and so you can leave it for days and then just come and check on it and see see who's been by so that's how come i i can put together some little films you know of all the of all the videos that i've that we had. can see on youtube yes, yes. fantastic yeah, yeah so it's and quite a simple device this camera's only about six inches by four inches isn't it mm-hmm. i mean it's not very big and I guess anyone could have one of those in their gardens to show all sorts of different wildlife. Well, yes, yeah, again, having discovered uh, how great it is for otters, I think, why did I never know about this? Because every garden's got, you know, um, foxes, badgers, all sorts, you know. And it's just interesting to know what's going on in your garden at night, you know, who's visiting and, um, yeah. It's absolutely amazing. And do you ever go on a boat? Yes, I actually bought myself a kayak in order to go and see the rest of the river. Having become interested in the otters, I thought, I want to see the rest of the river. And um, throughout lockdowns, I paddled up and down the river, so that was brilliant. I suppose the otters have made me fall in love with the river and how beautiful it is, because you only need to paddle a, a little way away from the roads, and it's just the most peaceful place. Wow. Well, you can watch the otters on Alison's YouTube channel. It's called Otters on Avon. Now, the River Avon isn't just a haven for mammals, fish and hovering insects. It's been an integral part of Cleveland pools, which are currently being restored back to their original state and are due to open to the public later this summer. Here's Project Director Anna Baker to tell us all about it. The Cleveland Pools is the oldest surviving public swimming pool, outdoor pool, um, in the whole of the UK. It started in 1815 as a project and opened to the public in 1817 and was open and operational right up until the mid-1980s, really, because at that point the Leisure Centre opened in Bath and fashions changed a bit and the pools just fell out of popularity and then nothing really happened so they were just sat there um, a bit unloved until early 2000 so 2003 the local council which is Bath and North East Somerset put the whole site up for sale and that was really the beginning of what we're doing now as a project so at that point a small group of local people got together and said you know we can't have this. This is a really significant site, both for local heritage, but also nationally important. We can't see this site being lost. 
how can we save it? And that was the start of the campaign to try and restore the pools back to public use. And I suppose that's where, you know, where we are now. We're almost at the end of that, that major campaign and subsequent uh, capital programme to actually get the public back in and enjoying the pools for future generations as well. We're almost there now, really. So we've been on site for about 15 months, I guess, now. And the whole scheme is starting to kind of come together and you can see that within a couple of months, no more, it will be ready for people to actually come and enjoy. It's been a pity because the site itself is so constrained in terms of the construction work. There isn't really much of a vantage point where you can take people in and show them how we're getting on. We hope very much be welcoming people for swimming uh, sometime late this summer. Um, we don't know exactly when yet. With the caveat that this year it will be unheated, um, so the heating will start next spring. In terms of what people can expect, so a functional pool, but not only one, but actually two. So we'll have a main pool, which is a 25 metre long pool. And then next to that, a separate children's splash pool. So it's just under a metre deep. There will also be a kiosk, which will be serving kind of snacks and drinks and things. And all of that is set against the backdrop of the Crescent building itself. So that's really the iconic image of the pools that people know is this Crescent building. We like to think of it as Bath's smallest kind of unknown Crescent. And it's this perfect symmetrical Crescent of 12 changing rooms. And those will be the changing rooms that visitors will use just as visitors have done for the last 200 plus years. The pools are there because of the river. Before the pools were built, there was an act passed that banned uh, nude swimming in the River Avon. And there was a, a growing popularity for cold water swimming. So people were looking for somewhere to bathe cold and they were doing it nude. Problem is not everybody was a fan. And so there was this act passed that meant that the you know, gentlemen of the time couldn't bathe nude anymore. So it was kind of like a crowdfunded project, but back in the 1800s, where local business people got together and said, we want to build somewhere where we can bathe and the general public can come and use it as well. So the river was really the catalyst for getting it going. But the river was also the original water. So the reason that we have the Crescent building at all is because the pool, the original pool, was never enclosed. It was just an inlet of the river. So the river was redirected into the site and the Crescent building mirrors that inlet. And then subsequently over the years, there was sluice gates put on it to control the river. Then after that, it was filled in to be the more formal pool that we know now. And it's kind of come full circle now in that we are using the river to heat the pools. And we have also been using the river to rebuild the pools because all of our deliveries come by a river as well. So the river is really quite important to us. So we're going to be using a water source heat pump. The pump itself is on site, so that's in our plant room, but we have separate extract and um, intake pumps in the river, which will be underneath our river pontoon that take water from the river. We then extract the heat energy from the river water and we use that to heat the pools. So it's a really nice, modern way of using the river. We can't use the water anymore, but we can use the heat from it instead.
even before we had the plan for the water source heat pump, we were really keen that we provide alternative ways of accessing the pool. So it's all about green travel, um, trying to minimise car traffic. And um, so the pontoon will be a stopping off point, almost like a bus stop for the Pontley cruisers so that visitors, if they're in central Bath, they can get on the cruiser and come and visit the pools as part of, you know, a day out. It's funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund and Heritage is at the core of this and that was the initial driver, but it has now become much bigger than that. At times, we've had you know feedback that yes, Heritage is okay, but there's a lot of Heritage in Bath and it's nice if we can kind of broaden our spectrum in terms of people that we have enjoying the pools as well. And that's certainly something that all of our volunteers have made very clear to us as well. I mean, we have a huge volunteer group who've helped us do this. Um, I am one of only four members of staff, but we have about 140 volunteers on the project. And they've said that that's quite important to them and it's really broadened who engages with the project as well, which is nice. So I think being able to appeal to lots of different people um, across lots of different kind of areas of interest is something that we've benefited from and I hope that people will enjoy in the future as well. Such an exciting new project in Bath and if you'd like to be one of the first to swim in the newly restored pools, then sign up to their newsletter, which you can find on their website, clevelandpools.co.uk. Now, it's time to get back on the river. You'll remember it's nearing dusk, which is the time when the beavers wake up and start looking for breakfast. Were we lucky enough to see one? Let's take a listen. How will we know if we see a beaver? I mean, might we miss it? Oh, it's quite possible a beaver sees you and is hidden in amongst all of these tumbling willow structures and lets you pass by and there's no clue. I mean, we will either see a beaver because it sees us first and jumps in the water from a branch and makes a huge splash, or we will see one because it, it's trying to warn others about us and uh, warn us off and makes a huge tail slap. Or if we're very lucky, we might see one either on a branch with the branch shaking as it's feeding and it hasn't seen us, or quite possibly um, swimming mid-river. So what's a tail slap? So noise travels um, uh, four times faster in water than in air because it's more dense so um, beavers slap the surface of the water and make like a gunshot sound to um, uh, to then transmit that through the water for other beavers to be able to hear it uh, and uh, and also warn us off um, so there we are on the left there's more fresh activity that again is very very fresh the last couple of days and it's something that you can see they've come back to over several years because you've got much older branches that have got no bark there as well. This particular family from what I've seen have a sort of um, range of about four kilometres with evidence of bark stripping and feeding and so on at, at either end of it. So when you say the family how many are there? So last year, I managed to work out that there were at least seven in this one um, burrow. Two, two adults, uh, three newborn kits last year, plus two yearlings. 
we'll turn around here and um, we'll just take it very slow and then we'll pass where they live again and hope we get lucky and one's come out uh, early to feed. Fish jump just ahead? Or was it a beaver? Definitely a fish. <laughs> Look in the middle of the river. There's a, this is quite a common sight, Pommy, to your right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How many are there? Like that is the longest line of geese and goslings I've ever seen in my life. I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> the youngest are at the front, followed by the teenagers. <laughs> followed by the aunts and uncles with mum and dad at the back and the front, I reckon. 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 22, 23, 24. There's 24 geese of all different ages from the very tiny placed in the middle to the young, to the teenagers. And it's five or six families looking at the other. That's just fantastic, isn't it? Wow. 24 geese. All right. going for a nighttime stroll. A nighttime paddle. Now, come on, beavers. But it's things like the kingfisher and those geese and goslings that there's always something different you experience. It's always something different. It's very special. So just up ahead, we're going to go silent, see if we can see a beaver. It's getting dark now, isn't it? This is what we want. And this canoe makes Duff. absolutely no noise at all. That was a beaver. <laughs> it just jumped into the river. Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. I didn't see it, but I saw the splash. I hate to say that, that was my most common sighting of a beaver. One that had seen me first and then the enormous belly flop it makes. Yeah, <laughs> it was definitely not a fish. <laughs> I think. That was so exciting. I think it will still be. I mean, it may, you, when you see that for the first time, your heart's in your mouth. <laughs> I mean, it must have been right out of the water on a branch. Yes. It was and yeah, and I was looking that way, I never saw it. Well, I was looking and I couldn't see because they're so well camouflaged. Yeah. We'll go down river a little way and then we'll come back up because I, I think it will still be in that willow and it will just have had its eyes popping out of the water looking at us from from in amongst all the submerged willow. So it might, um, if it sees us again, it might realise we're not. This is the most extraordinarily beautiful place, isn't it? It really is, in this time of night, the sun's gone down. There's a swan just feeding on the algae. There's all the dusk bird song as everything settles down for the night. Fish jumping, 
to get the flies and we've just had a beaver belly floppers. <laughs> it's not we bad. We really did, didn't we? It's not oh. bad, is it? Yeah, so we've turned around, I'm keeping my voice down, we've turned around trying not to disturb this feeding, feeding swan to our right, but um, we'll turn around and we'll go very slowly back up and just see if if that beaver emerges and swims along the river or something. himself. Oh, I can see him scratching himself with his back paw. And there's his face. long I reckon. He's gone into the water. That was just thrilling. I can't see him. Oh yeah, oh yeah, there he is. You can see his big tail. And his big nose. Sort of flat head. He's looking at us. Oh, he's got an amazing tail. He's just dived into the river.
Well, uh, that's one of the best sightings you'll ever have as a, <laughs> of a beaver because you got to watch it for several minutes going in and out of the water, watching it feed on willow shoots. It was climbing along the, the fallen trunk of the tree, looking straight at you. So it doesn't get much better than that. And that, that's not the same beaver we saw first. So the first one was definitely an adult because the size of the, the, the splosh in the entry was huge. But I think, um, well, I'm sure that you saw that was quite a plump youngster. That's one of the yearlings. So that one's a year old. Uh, yeah, fabulous. That was absolutely thrilling. I can't tell you how exciting that was. And you're right, we could just sit and watch him for minutes. So the the, the, the adults won't let you do that. I think the youngsters are more naive and curious. I've never known an adult let us do that. It was a very special encounter. But obviously we were just utterly silent and motionless. Um, so... It's partly knowing how to be around wildlife and how to leave it undisturbed, really. Oh, Bevis, that is just <laughs> amazing. Thank we've, we've you so much. Because um, we've timed that just right to have about half an hour of clear water and, uh, and find a couple of beavers. And, of course, these people will come you know, flying down river now and the paddle doesn't have no idea and the beavers will see them first for sure. What a magnificent creature. It's got such a distinctive shaped head and yeah. tail, hasn't it? That sort of flat cap head with a great big jaw. And I mean, OK, that was a youngster, but it was quite big, Did wasn't it? Did you get it? a close look through the binoculars? Yeah, yeah okay. it was, I was fantastic. I was, I was holding the paddle to uh, just keep us straight in the water. Well, Pommy, I oh. think I can deliver a better beaver sighting for you. Bevis, that, that was just magnificent. I don't think you uh, could have designed anything better than that. Yeah. Well, the best wildlife experience I think you can have in the UK is a, a reintroduced species still endangered in Europe and very rare to see here, and to see it properly wild and free. Uh, yeah. Something else. I can't even jump up and down, can I? <laughs> well, you can, but I'm not picking you out of the river. <laughs> oh, thank you so much to Bevis for an unbelievable trip where we were incredibly lucky to have such an intimate encounter with a beaver. You can find out more about them by reading Bevis's new book, which is out from July the 1st, and it's called River Journey, Searching for Wild Beavers and Finding Freedom. Well, that's it for this episode of Footprints. Thank you for joining me. And don't forget, you can listen to all the previous episodes anytime you like. You can find out more about Bathscape by visiting the website bathscape.co.uk. Footprints was hosted and produced by me, Pommy Harmer, and I hope to see you all next month.